0: Let's try this. Good morning, everybody. So much better than the first service. Not to compare, uh, but the first service was quite weak. They needed to, they, two times we had to give them, uh, and you guys were great. I love that. Uh, my name is Matt McGill, and I am one of the pastors on staff. I am so glad that you are here today. We are taking a break from Pastor Mark's series in the Gospel of John, and um, but he'll be back up next week, so don't worry about that. In fact, if you're a little disappointed he's not here, I totally get that. You can just Go get a breakfast burrito. No one's there's no cameras or anything like that. It'll be fine. Uh, just go for it. Uh, the burritos are important. Uh, let me tell you something else. So when I was a little kid, I was a baseball player, and I was a terrible, terrible baseball player. I know most of you are very surprised by that. With my Olympian physique, uh, uh, but I was a very excited baseball player. And there was uh, one game. My dad was such a great support for my sister and I, but he was showing up late. So the, we took the field, and uh, and I'm in my position, and I see my dad coming in. I could. The whole scene is just. In. We were at Ut. Uh, I'm sorry, Curry School in Tustin. I know what field we were on, and, and and there he is. And I was so excited. In the middle of the game, I said, "Hey, Dad!" Playing right field, uh, and then I heard a little bit of a chuckle from all the parents uh, in, the, in the sidelines there, the sidelines that 's a different sport uh, in the stands and um, and that, that didn 't that didn't slow me down even just a little tiny bit. Uh, my dad, who has no fear and does not care what anybody else thinks in the world, he just kind of stands back up and he says, "Son." I could see that. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, yeah. The guy does a lot more about baseball than I do. I guess I don't need to tell him what position I'm in. Uh, okay. But, you know, whatever. I'm still having a good time. Afterwards, we had this tradition, family tradition. We would go to the same donut place after uh, all our sports on Saturdays. And, um, and I think I like that more than the sports, which that is obvious by the physique. Uh, and and I never forget one of the things my dad said to me. He, he said, we we're talking about the game and all this stuff. And, and he said, but you know what, son, I'm proud of you. I'm proud for, for how positive you are and how you give baseball everything you've got. Uh, and then he paused for a second. He's like, you don't have much to give, but you, you give it as much, as much as you can. And uh, just think about that for a second. What moves a son uh, to want to be blessed by his father or by his mother. I mean, in that moment, it was so great. I was, I was acknowledged and I was affirmed. And the power of that blessing, honestly, it's lasted more than 40 years. I mean, it's something that I think about. It has shaped me. I wanna be that positive to my kids and, 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 and bless them. But the truth is, is that we all need to be blessed. Like This is how God created us. Part of it, how it links us together, but also how it connects us to God. We are created to be acknowledged and to be affirmed. We need that just like a plant needs soil and sunlight. We need to be be blessed. The good news is that Jesus came to teach us how to live. He came to teach us what it looks like for us to be blessed by God. And so today is part one of a two-part series. I'll be back up at the end of the month, and, and we're gonna look at a section of scripture called the Beatitudes. Um, there's eight of them. Today, we're only looking at, we're looking at the first four, um, so it's gonna be quite a ride. We're gonna zoom, we're gonna zoom through four of them. Um, but the thing is, uh, before we get started, just to make sure we're all on the same, the same page here. Beatitude, is, it's kind of a, it's a fancy word, but, but really what it is, is a beatitude is a phrase that simplifies life. I mean, life isn't simple. Sometimes life is very complex and very difficult, but a beatitude, it basically, it gives you a formula. And, and even though life can be really complex and, and overwhelming, the way you, you attack a complex problem is by breaking it down into small steps. And, 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 and basically, the beatitude says, hey, you'll be blessed if... And, and that's kind of the, 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 what it reduces things down to and what it's like. It's very simple to, to understand uh, blessing is kind of a churchy word, and, and essentially blessing means happy, um, uh, but it also uh, it, it, in the original like Greek, when they talked about blessing, it, it could be divine favor, but it also could be economic favor, and so 2,000 years ago, when they said, hey, this person's blessed, it was because they were without wants, and think about that for a second. I mean, when I got uh, encouraged by my dad in that moment, was there anything else I needed to, after my dad affirmed me and encouraged me? And the answer is yes, I needed that bear claw that was right in front of me. But, but other than the bear claw, I mean, my heart was, was full. But to be blessed meant that, that you had divine favor or economic favor. Does Jesus want you to be happy? Think about that for a second. Does Jesus want you to be happy? And and, and I'm glad you didn't answer out loud. This isn't a trick question. I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but the answer is yes. He does want us to be happy, but he wants us to be happy on his terms, not our terms. We have all kinds of ideas that, that would, we think would make us happy. And so, so when, God, when I say God wants us to be happy, it's not based on uh, our selfishness and the, the imperfection and the brokenness that we have. It's based on the perfection of God. And so we're going to look at four statements on what it means to be blessed, what it means to be happy, and the first one is this. It's in your notes if you're following along, should be up on the screen, but Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and one of the things that we see is that uh, the Beatitudes can be really contradictory. I mean, this doesn't really make sense. Poor means you don't have anything or much but poor, yet theirs is the kingdom. And so, so you're poor, you have nothing, but you have kingdom. And it's not just a kingdom, it's the kingdom of heaven. So how do these things fit together? This is a shocking statement. Maybe you've read it a million times. Maybe you're looking at it for the first time. Either way, I don't want you to be blind to how shocking this is. The truth is, is is a ladder, a ladder is only useful if the first step is low to the ground, right? You use a ladder to get up high. If that first step is up here, you no longer have a ladder. It's a jungle gym or something for the kids. Uh, and, And this whole idea of being poor in spirit, this is the first step. And it's a low first step that anybody can do. You don't have to have a special expertise or be on the inside. Anybody can take this step. Spiritual poverty, it's that moment where you say, in the deepest part of who you are, I'm not enough. I'm not perfect. I'm not enough to handle all that life has for me. But God, you are. Poor in spirit is the opposite of pride, and pride is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is something that we treasure in our culture, and I get it. There are some good things to independence. We need independence, but it can go too far. Poor uh, in spirit, when a person's poor in spirit, they're completely dependent on God, on your notes there, it says keyword with a, with a blank and it's just gonna be one word and, and, um, and so it's gonna to be tough. We're used to sentences, I realize. We're breaking the mold here, uh, but don't worry. Uh, you know, you get, everyone tells us they were writing too much and so we just wanna keep it real simple. One word, uh, and you could really take this in a lot of ways. And honestly, I hope God's spirit is working in your life and leads you down several paths. But the reason why I have a key word is just to kind of focus us in and give you one thing to think about. And the key word for this is repent. The key word is repent. Pastor Mark talked about this a lot last week, and so we're not gonna go into it uh, very much. If you missed last week's message, jump online and check it out. But, But the reality is is that there are winners and losers in life. There are real consequences that are based on what you believe about Jesus. And of course, Jesus had a lot to say about this and to say about repentance. Here's a passage in Matthew 21. This is where Jesus is kind of talking to the religious insiders, people who should have known what was going on, but, well, they didn't. Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This is the perfect picture of this, uh, what it means to be poor in spirit. What we see here is the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they were the spiritual outsiders and they were the ones who were able to say yes to Jesus. They were the ones that were able to admit they were spiritually bankrupt. When I say the latter, that first step is low. Anybody can step on even the tax collectors and the prostitutes can do that. And I just wanna say, you know, just to, if you and I are having a one-on-one conversation about the Beatitudes, if you personally just take an inventory of where you're at in your faith, and and if you're really struggling right now, or maybe you feel like you're stuck in a rut, or you've hit a wall, if things aren't great and exciting with your faith right now, this is the place to start. This is the place where you look in and you just say, God, I wanna admit, that I need you and I can't do this on my own. That is, if you could do that, you'll be blessed by God. The second beatitude that we're gonna look at is this one and it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The Beatitudes are shocking. I read this. I'm a person, I got a lot of questions. I'm very, uh, you know, a critical thinker. Hopefully I don't have a critical heart, but critical, you know, I always challenge and wonder, you know, and, and this one's really shocking because is it good to be sad? Does God want us to be sad? Does this mean the bad things that happen in the world are good because they lead us to, to mourning? And so let's unravel this knot a little bit. I think that there's two approaches when it comes to, to sadness and to suffering and to mourning. The first approach is the compensation approach, and it seems good at first, but once you dig into it, it's like, ah, eh, this doesn't really hold together. The, the compensation approach says this. It says, life now has to be terrible for life to be good in heaven. And so if I'm not suffering, then something is wrong. And, and this is kind of a poor me attitude that, that is based on a kernel of truth. Heaven's gonna be unbelievable. No tears, no sadness. It's gonna be perfect. We're gonna be with God face to face. We're gonna be reunited with people that we have known and have died. Heaven is gonna be amazing, but it is not correct to believe life has to be terrible now so that I'll be compensated when I get in heaven. A healthier approach, and and one that I believe is more accurate, is the transformational approach, and, and the transformational approach when it seeks to understand what God is doing in your heart when you are sad. This, doesn't, uh, this approach doesn't say sadness is good in and of itself. Things that make you sad are good in and of themselves. No, let's, let's label them and, and, and accept that, that that is not good. It is not God's will that bad things happen. But it is totally true that God will work through those things. Here's the reality is that God won't waste a hurt. He won't waste a hurt in your life. He will use that to draw you closer to Him. There's all kinds of things that can make us sad, right? I mean, just read the newspaper, there's tons of stuff that makes you you sad. I know a ton of people, it's like they give up the news because they're just tired of being sad, Uh, and I get that. You could look in, and there's things that make us sad when we look in. I mean, the the sins and the selfishness and the things that we do, like, like it's one thing to say, yeah, God, this is wrong, and it's another thing to say, man, this makes me sad that I do this sometimes. And so when we are sad, we need to pay attention to this stuff. Our feelings of sadness are important. But hear me clearly—they're uh, not important uh, just for uh, self-care and self-hope. Uh, you know, help. Uh, I could care less about your me time. Uh, you know, some of you know me well enough. You're like, yeah, Miguel. I'm pretty sure you, my me time is not high on your list. It is not up there. But but what this is is when you are sad, we should pay attention because this is a time that we can have deeper wisdom, deeper insight, deeper understanding deeper discernment. It's when we're sad that we have a unique opportunity to rely more on God. And so, of course, God comforts us directly. This is part of this passage. But God also uses other people to comfort us. And so because of that, that's kind of what I want to focus on with this next keyword. It's a little bit of an um, out of right field, which is where I played. Uh, but, um, but, but, but it'll make sense in just a second. So hang with me. That next key word is risk. That next key word is risk. And I understand that when we're in pain or when we're sad, the last thing we wanna do is open ourselves up to more pain and sadness, right? I mean, who takes a risk when you're not feeling great? I mean, that's not a natural, normal thing, I understand. But please understand this part of what I'm saying is that God will comfort us, he'll use other people to comfort us. But when I'm sad, like if, if I need other people to comfort me, those relationships have to be built on trust. And trust has to be built on taking a risk. And so when we're sad, we need to be able to open up and we need to be able to risk with just a few. I'm not saying you risk with everyone, that you go on social media and you know, share all the saddest things of your heart. I mean, that's, that's not responsible and, and, and I'm not talking about that. But, but what I am talking about is that the Bible is very clear Paul, he says that we ought to carry one another's burdens, but how can I carry your burden if you don't open up and trust me with that? How can other people help carry my burdens if I don't take a risk and open up and trust them with that? The Bible is very clear that loneliness is a bad idea. This is in Ecclesiastes, and uh, the teacher, he wrote this. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, that's work, and his eyes were not content with his wealth. This word meaningless, it's very strong. It's actually two words put together. It's very, very strong. And um, the reality is, is, there's value in solitude. Like, you know, even you know, for those of you that are super extroverts and you love being around people and you're a motor mouth and you talk constantly. Great, way to go, identify a little bit with that. Uh, Solitude is good, it's good to get alone and to have some some time by yourself to think and to reflect, but there is no value in loneliness, in being so utterly alone that there's no one that you can trust. Now, as you look at this, uh, it's interesting. Do you see what tries to replace the lack of relationship? So a man is all alone, and what is is he trying to replace that with? If we were in our rooted, we just finished a rooted group a little while ago, and if we were in a rooted group, I'd ask the question, and then I would just stand there and be silent, or sit there and be silent, and let everybody read the passage for themselves, uh, and kind of discover, but if I were to do that here, it'd be very awkward to be silent in a large room. So I'm just gonna tell you what it is. There, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. There was no end to his toil. Imagine that for a second. I mean, this is just Old Testament stuff. This would never happen today in America that we would take our relational bankruptcy and replace it by throwing ourselves into work and achievement. But, but there, is, there is, it would never happen, especially in Orange County, right? Like we just like to kick back and hang out and just have fun. Uh, but, but, but work is important, but it does not replace relationships and community and fellowship. When we're alone it is meaningless, utterly meaningless. We need to learn how to open up and trust people just a little bit more. A couple weeks ago um, I went to, I had this terrible pain in my shoulder. I'm a very stubborn person um, and it took me three weeks to go to the doctor. Is anybody else stubborn, doesn't like going to the doctor? I'm the only one, seriously? (laughs) Come on, okay, take a risk and at least raise a hand. That's not that hard, thank you, (laughs) thank you. Uh, so I'm stubborn. You're stubborn too. Sorry. Uh, so I went to the chiropractor for the first time in my life, and the chiropractor did the whole, you know, the x-rays and the, the touching and the feeling and you know, asking questions. And, and so as he's given me the, the explanation, he says, well, your x-ray tells us that you have a problem. And then, you know, can imagine what I said. I said, I didn't need the x-ray to tell me I had a problem. Uh, like I've got a lot of pain. And so he was just kind of smiling, and you know, he gave me that look like you think you're funny, don't you? And, and I kind of answered with my face, yeah, I think I'm really funny. How come you don't think I'm? So that was the meta conversation that was happening. Uh, but back in the real world, uh, he said, No, no, you have a pain in your neck, not your shoulder. And I was like, whoa. He's like, yeah, and so he goes on to explain and talk and yada, yada, and so I wasn't really listening to him at this point. I totally checked out uh, because I was now afraid. I was now very afraid. One thing to have your shoulder popped or whatever. Actually, I was hoping for an amputation. Uh, and so, uh, but it's another thing for someone to put their hands on your neck and give you the twist. And so I now had to play calm, cool, and collected. And I was like, okay, you know, I could, I could do this. And, uh, um, you know, so he gets there, he's all ready. And right before I just said, hey, uh, just so you know, I have no idea what to expect right now. And I think my voice kind of cracked a little bit. I mean, I was very scared. Uh, and, and you know, I was in good hands, gave me the crack, and, and uh, the, the, the crack, uh, and, and uh, <laughs> that's a different message. Uh, see what happens, second service? You never, never know what's gonna happen. Uh, And and everything he said, would happen did happen. An hour later, I felt better. Three hours later, I felt a lot better. It was great. It was like he was a Christian witch doctor. It was unbelievable. It was just amazing. And and obviously, this was just a physical thing, but, but I needed to trust him if I was gonna have comfort in my pain. We need to do this with our relationships. We need to do this with our heart. And I want you to hear me on this, and forgetting all the jokes and the, the silliness, we need to stop being so scripted and stop being so fake where we prop up this perfect picture for everyone else to look at. You don't have to be perfect, and it is okay to be sad. We need to take our sadness And we need to share that with God and be honest with him about it. And we need to take our sadness and and things that we're dealing with and trust other people with that. You will be blessed if you can do these things. Number three is this, blessed are the meek, Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Man, every once in a while I read Bible verses that I just, I wish, I, I'm tempted to go get a Sharpie and just scratch them out all the way so they're not in the Bible anymore. I don't have a problem with the miracles. Miracles are great. I have a problem when the Bible is like, hey, you ought to be meek. Uh, this is really confusing to look at because meek inherit. What happens in our world? It's the aggressive and the ambitious who get things. It's not the meek who get things. This is totally confusing. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, I've heard this a ton of times, but, but meekness isn't weakness, it's strength under control, and that's a great definition. That's a great understanding of what meekness is. This is the only beatitude that's a direct quote from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word for meek, uh, oftentimes, more often than not, it was used for for poor, for poverty, like for economically poor, and so the idea here is is humility. The idea here is that uh, meekness lives at the intersection of humility and gentleness. And personally, this is not a place I like to go to very often. Uh, um, Even just earlier this week, my wife and I were at a restaurant, um, and it was very busy, and I was there with one of my sons, Miller, we were there eating, eating breakfast or eating dinner uh, and um, it was quite busy. And so my wife was sitting outside, inside, we were sitting outside and um, a person came up and he was very negative uh, negative. And, and I don't care really, but he was setting such a bad example for his grandkid um, and he was so, um, he was so rude to the workers and in this moment, I could feel it happening that just like a volcano can't be contained by the crust of of the earth, my crusader was rising up and I was ready to make things happen. And so I leaned over to Miller and I said, Miller, is this guy, can you hear this guy? And Miller goes, huh? Uh, And I said, is this guy ridiculous or what? And he's like, huh? And and so Miller, Miller, is it true? Miller likes sounds more than actual words. Is this right? Yeah, is it true? I was kind of hoping you can give me a sound, but that's okay, I'll take a head shake, that's good. Uh, sorry to put you on spot, but there you go. Uh, <clears throat> this is because you're not helping me with this video game we're playing together. I'm not getting you back publicly. Uh, <laughs> You're like, he's a terrible dad. You're probably right. Uh, but in this moment, I was like, really, um, I was God's gift to this man is how I felt. And, um, and so then I said to Miller, and you're laughing. Some of you are laughing. You're like, what an idiot. There's a couple of you in there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Very few. But there's a couple of you. It's like, you go get him, buddy. I understand. <laughs> you know. That person's terrible. And so I said to Miller, I go, should I say something to him? I feel like I need to say something. And all of a sudden Miller looks up and he just, Miller uh, abject fear in his face. And he just, then he uses his words. He says, no, don't say anything. And I was like, huh, okay. So that gave me pause. And in that moment I was like, okay, you know what? I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. Meekness was something that I had to choose. And don't get me wrong, I didn't wanna like yell at the guy in front of his kid and grandkids. I wanted to call him aside. You know, hey, can you tell me? Like I wanted to have a nice conversation, but it would not have been very pleasant for him. And in that moment, I chose meekness, it usually doesn't happen. The key word here probably will make a little bit more sense on the, on the, hopefully it makes a little bit more sense than the last one. You won't have to connect the dots, but the key word is to resist, is to resist. And, and, and meekness calls for self-control. Meekness is a choice that we have to make. A person can be economically poor, but rich in pride and rich in being just loud and, 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 and uh, not having any kind of self-control. But when provoked, meekness it pauses and considers the best course of action. Jesus says this, This whole idea of meekness and and humility and gentleness, Jesus demonstrated this for us. He's talking to his disciples and he says, take my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble at heart and you will find rest for your souls. There is a time for strong words and maybe we need to have a message for that. You know, I mean, we can't really go through life where we don't speak uh, the hard truths. Uh, There is a time for that, Um, but it's always time to be meek. It's always time to be meek. And if we can be meek, we'll be blessed by God. Number 4, the last one we're looking at is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst are powerful. Without these drives, we couldn't live. They're deep impulses that can't be ignored. And and honestly, these things, it's a great leveler. It puts us all on the same playing field. It doesn't matter who you are. Let's say you woke up on Monday and you're like, I'm gonna spend $44 billion on Twitter. Like, even if that's who you are, you still have hunger and thirst that you have to pay attention to. You can't ignore these things. So what's the the point is that we don't just have physical needs that need to be taken care of. We also have these spiritual ones as well. And they're absolutely vital for our spiritual life. This teaching is all about drive and desire. It's about the things you want and what moves you to say and to think and to do the things that you do. The key word that I have for this, the focus that I want to kind of aim you in, is, is the word reorganize. Reorganize. And you're like, well, what is happening here? Uh, and, and here's why: is because Jesus is calling us to reorganize our priorities, is that we need to keep the first things as the first things. This, uh, Jesus says this late, just a little bit after the Beatitudes. He says, Seek first the kingdom. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. And this seeking that Jesus is talking about, this is not a passive pursuit. This is not casual at all. Words like hunger and thirst Well, they're calling us to live with an intensity and an enthusiasm, just like an eight-year-old who's so excited to play baseball for his dad. This is what our faith ought to be like, that we're hungering and we're thirsting for righteousness. And if you just wanna see where your priorities are at, just just examine, Take take a second and go, and where do you spend your time and where do you spend your thought life, your attention? Your time and your attention will reveal your priorities. It's so easy for concerns in life, legitimate concerns, to take first place. I have a friend in our church, um, we've been friends for now the last six months, that's how long I've been here, and, uh, and this person, he got um, a huge, awesome new job, and it is really fantastic, and he was telling me about it, and he was excited, and I was excited, because God, it's a right fit, and it's what God made him to do, and, and so now he's got a new thing to think about, a new thing in his life. But here's what I know, I also know him well enough that that this new thing isn't gonna overshadow his faith, that he's a person that knows God ought to be the most important thing. And this is really what we all need to do. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to know how to be meek. We need to know how to mourn, where we don't just trust to God, but we trust to others. And ultimately, man, if if you need to start somewhere, four things, I gave you a lot, I know, and if you're like, this is a lot, I don't know where to start, then you start on the first one. What does it mean to be poor in spirit for you that you would acknowledge your dependence on God? So we're going to end our time today. It's going to be a little bit different. I know I shook things up or you just wrote down one word. So sorry for that. Uh, hopefully it wasn't, you were, uh, wasn't too frightening for you. Uh, but you could tell the band is up here. So why don't we all stand up? We're going to finish our time together uh, by singing one last song. And, and it's kind of an oldie. It's one of my favorites. It's kind of an oldie. Uh, the young people are like, what? And uh, that's okay. Uh, um, if you don't know the words, that's okay. You just listen and let God's Spirit minister to you as they play and as Shelby sings.